Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can find me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. While you're there, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform of choice, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, or the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and easy and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, including game recaps, prospect analysis, and more. On tonight's episode, we're going to return to business as usual, and we have a wonderful recap of the Toronto Maple Leafs game tonight, which was, wow, that was a thing. Uh, Winnipeg somehow, beyond all doubt, ended up winning a game against Toronto, which they haven't done this season, and that was an extremely wild game with some really bad mistakes and an unbelievable overtime period. But first, let's kind of walk you through some of the opening stages. The first thing you should know is that Winnipeg was pretty bad. Uh, In fact, they were just abysmal. Compared to the last game where they lost to Toronto 6-3, this game was actually worse, even though the scoreline looks a little more favorable. Toronto straight-up pantsed Winnipeg in both shot quality and uh, really just general shot location and the ability to sort of drive towards the net and create absolute havoc in front of Connor Hellebuck. Toronto was very good in offensive zone passing. They made really good scoring chances. They had some golden opportunities that they were very close to connecting on, except either Hellebuck was perfect or they just barely missed connecting. Yeah, I mean, this was a really tough game. Um, But what ended up sort of being the deciding factor, at least in regulation, was that Winnipeg was a little bit more opportunistic and managed to get a couple of nice goals. One of them was actually a a shorthanded opportunity from Mason Appleton. Appleton uh, had a little bit of support from Kyle Connor on the PK, which I can't believe I'm saying because neither of these guys is particularly defensively sound. Appleton is a little bit more than Connor is, uh, but Kyle Connor on the PK is usually something of a disaster. This is like the first time that I can recall where they actually saw an opportunity to be aggressive and they really took it. It might have been Tavares carrying the puck through the neutral zone, but he ended up getting stripped and then um, Connor took the puck and, and lost it again, but then Appleton kind of followed up behind him, stripped it, forced a turnover, and basically outworked the Toronto skater driving all the way to the net. It wasn't like it was a speedy play either. Um, Appleton was pretty methodical and just sort of overpowered his opponent. I think it was kind of a lazy effort from the power play unit, to be honest, and Appleton ended up scoring a nice breakaway goal. At this point, Winnipeg had already been involved in a pretty eventful game. Both teams scored in the opening five or six minutes of the uh, of the first period, so yeah, I mean, there were a couple of mistakes that led to the goals. I mean, Winnipeg's first shot from Ehlers went in, and then Austin Matthews made use of some, you know, a little bit of crease chaos and the Jets kind of swimming around on their own end and scored. So, yeah, I mean, this is a messy game. But the <laughs> so the, the Appleton goal was pretty messy, right? Uh, and then just a few minutes later, uh, Andrew Kopp was coming through the offensive zone, and I think they were—I don't know if they were still in the power play or something—but Kopp mis- made a misread and then passed it back. And I think he thought that there was a defenseman at the point. Pass, though, ends up cutting through the middle of the neutral zone, and it springs a three-on-one for Toronto, which they did not miss. Uh, Lucas Abisa got caught chasing backwards. I mean, there's not a whole lot that he can do. And then Dmitry Timishov ended up finishing it off and tied the game at 2-2. Pretty messy, and it was one of those sort of things where you, you sit there and you think, you're a professional NHL team. How exactly does that happen? And I know that Cop is going to be kicking himself about this. Cop is the kind of guy who really doesn't make mistakes like this. This is highly unusual, so I'm not going to get too mad at him. It's just one of those things that's really stupid and really sloppy, and you wouldn't expect it from Andrew, of all people. 
but that kind of characterized tonight's game because just a few minutes later, John Tavares and Justin Hall kind of had a similar issue where Tavares, I think, was trying to make some kind of pass. Hall pinches down low, which is not a particularly great decision because Tavares is right there. There's a forward already behind, you know, Hall, so he's going to get beat if the puck comes out. Sure enough, the puck comes out, and it springs a three-on-one between Line, Shifley, and Connor, which, if you're Toronto, is really not what you want to see. Um, Connor ends up passing it to Shifley. Shifley just sort of waits it out and then wrists it right past uh, Freddie Anderson. Anderson had already had something of a rough start to the game. I didn't think he was terrible at all, but a couple of the goals he would have... Um, well, I think the Appleton goal you would have liked to have seen him stop because it wasn't a particularly hard shot. It just sort of leaked through him. Kind of the thing that we expected to see from Hellebuck last season. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those things where you sort of... I don't know. I feel like if Winnipeg had already surrendered that goal... I guess the Tavares Hall thing was a little bit of justice, but still, I mean, these are very uncharacteristic mistakes. It was kind of like both teams were very tentative and didn't really know how to react and try to defend against um, each of their most talented shooters. And instead, they ended up making even bigger mistakes, trying to be a little more passive because neither of these teams is equipped to play passively. They have to promote a lot of offense. Um, And to Toronto's credit, they absolutely did tonight. They were straight up whooping the Jets on counters and stuff. And uh, on a lot of offensive zone um, opportunities, they created a ton of possession and generated a lot of chaos and net front opportunities. Winnipeg basically just had to sit back and pray and hope because their defensemen and forwards really couldn't clear along the walls. Uh, and I d- have noticed that a couple of things with the Jets, I think, for one thing, they try to do um, a sort of an end-around pass to the right flank along the walls, which teams seem to have caught on real quick because there's usually like two or three guys um, already on that strong side where the puck is going to come. And they've already isolated Winnipeg's forward or or defenseman who's going to receive that puck, and then they force a turnover. The pass from behind the net always seems to be a bit on the slower side, so I feel like teams have just started aggressively pinching and and cutting the jets off around that area. Not great news if you're Winnipeg, uh, and be, well, especially because they can't handle defensive you know defensive zone pressure all that well. I mean, they usually collapse and surrender a goal. Uh, and then Winnipeg has also had issues just getting. Um, neutral zone dumps. I mean, that's basically all they can do at this point is just dump the puck out because by the time they are ready to make their zone clearance, they've already spent, you know, a minute, minute and a half, sometimes even two minutes in their own end, and all the guys are gassed. So you're not going to get a, a zone exit that's under possession. And then when you're really unlucky, those those zone clearances end up turning into turnovers that end up in the back of your net, or it's an icing, just an unfavorable situation for the Jets. They really need guys who can skate the puck out under pressure, and right now they just don't have too many D or even forwards who can do that. Winnipeg's forwards have tried to compensate for the defensive lapses by taking a pretty pretty low um, approach in the zone. I know that they try to be passive so that they can try and pick off passes and form a uh, form a bit of a counter breakout, but the Jets just don't have enough active attacking or defending to really get anything out of that. When they're defending in their own end, they just sort of sit and wait for, for opportunities to try and spring a counter. Uh, but usually teams kind of walk in on them anyways, like Toronto was gashing them and basically cutting right towards the net in front of Hellebuck. Even though there were three or four skaters sitting around him, the Jets just couldn't really force a turnover or or even disrupt possession of the uh, Toronto puck. All this to say, the Jets were were in pretty tough. So, I mean, you, you kind of know what to expect from this team at this point. If you're really surprised by the result, um, especially in the regulation period, you probably shouldn't be. I, I did think that the Jets might have been a little more competitive than they were, but that didn't really happen until the third period. And even then, you know, even with the lead, the Jets were kind of 
kind of still getting hammered in the other end. They were still surrendering a lot of opportunities, and they just couldn't create anything in front of Freddie Anderson. I really did think that Winnipeg was was on the verge of surrendering a goal at the end of regulation, and of course they did. You know, the net was empty for Toronto, and here comes Austin Matthews with an absolute bomb of a slap shot to tie it with like 15 or 20 seconds left. Kind of goal that you do expect to see from, from Matthews. He can absolutely rip one. He already had one earlier in the night, and he was really an unholy terror throughout the whole game. I think he had 9 or 10 shots, something like that. Uh, dude is just an, a one-man offensive wrecking crew when he's on his game, and tonight he ate his Wheaties. He was real good. One of his most fanciful opportunities was this unbelievable through-the-legs attempt that Hellebuck... I'm kind of surprised Hellebuck got to it because it was just that good of a shot. Um, and, you know, Matthews is, of course, a great shooter, a bit of a trickster, and it almost went in. It was pretty close. Uh, but somehow the Jets kind of held on until, of course, they surrendered the game-tying goal. They had an opportunity to actually ice it with the empty net twice. I think Shifley and Line both missed. Um, or actually, it was Connor on the backhand who missed first, and then Line tried to make an attempt but ended up getting the shot blocked. There was another defenseman standing in the net, so even if even if the initial shot hadn't been blocked, who knows if it actually goes in um, with the guy standing in, <laughs> directly in the crease. But, wow, so regulation was pretty bad for the Jets. But then overtime, overtime was something else, man. I've, I've seen a lot of three-on-three overtime periods, but this might be one of the most breathtaking, unbelievable, cardiac arrest-inducing three-on-three periods that I've ever gotten to see. It was simply ridiculous. Winnipeg matched Toronto stride for stride. In fact, I think they they were actually the better team overall. Um, Even though they didn't really play a whole lot of Nick Ehlers, at least they put him out in overtime because they didn't do that the last time. So I'm I'm happy for that. That's nice. But, wow, I mean, Winnipeg had some absolutely unbelievable opportunities. Shifley had a breakaway that was completely stonewalled by Anderson. But that wasn't even the best attempt. Toronto ended up looking like it was going to score in overtime, uh, but then Line was with Wheeler, and Line, uh, there actually it was Roslovic, I think, at this point, um, but Line was still out there, and there was a cross seam pass that Line picked off elegantly, I might add, and then so he races up, um, and Roslovic is already past, I think, the third man for Toronto, so Line kind of greases through because Toronto's skaters are all tired. They really don't have the pace to catch up to Line and Roslovic. Somehow these guys have a 2-on-0, and Line, instead of shooting, opts to pass to Roslovic, and it is miraculously saved by Anderson. Um, I really think that Line should have just shot. He he already probably wanted at least uh, one goal based on some of the shooting opportunities he'd had previously in the evening. A couple of the shots ended up getting tipped right off of uh, Anderson's glove or his blocker, so it wasn't like Line wasn't getting opportunities. He'd had a bit of a rough outing in general just because he was fumbling the puck and handling it a little bit like a hand grenade. Um, he was playing a little passively, I think partly because he knew that Toronto's forwards and stuff are all really really speedy, so he knows he's not the fastest skater. He really would have trouble you know, catching up on the back check. Maybe he was playing a little more passively, but this overtime period was totally his. He was feeling it. It just made it all the more unbelievable that he didn't score and that Roslovic didn't score. I mean, Line had so many great opportunities, uh, but he just couldn't hit pay dirt. And it was so close, but wow, I was like dying watching this because it was crazy. It was really fun and I loved it. It was an awesome overtime period. 
But again, I thought I was about to need a change of pants and die because that was that was the level of intensity. It felt just absolutely breathless. If you have a chance to go watch it on YouTube or something, please do it because you won't you will be hard pressed to find a better three on three overtime period than what Toronto and Winnipeg put on. It was a clinic in fun. Despite the golden opportunities for both teams, it ended up being decided in a shootout. Uh, and at first, it didn't start out too great. Toronto kind of connected first, and then um, Kyle Connor got stopped. And then Matthews, he had a little bit of a trickery. Um, nice little deke and dangle that seemed to catch Hellebuck a little bit off his game, but kind of trickles through Hellebuck's pads. Hellebuck looked a little bit shell-shocked on that one. And then Line A. Line A? <laughs> Uh, you know, sometimes you just kind of lose words to describe a particular brand of player or or a signature move that they have. Line A has often kind of had this little bit of a deke and a dangle or a little bit of puck movement right before he shoots, but he kind of likes to go through the go through your pads or a little bit to the left or right. This time, though, Line A just yeeted the shot from like 10 feet out, and it was an absolute blister between the ringets. I mean, we're talking just a deep, deep shot up high, top shelf, and Anderson's a big dude, so to, to kind of get this puck cleanly past him over his shoulder um, from as far out that line A pulled the shot off, it's just miraculous. I mean, you 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 would never expect him to do that. Uh, and I don't think Anderson was thinking he was going to shoot from that far out either because Anderson really never had a chance to get set. It was just by him before he even really had a chance to react. Um, and this is why line A's shot is, is as feared as it is. I mean, it's I don't know. If you can find it on YouTube, that one as well, you're you're going to want to see it because I can only do it so much justice with the, as many words as I've been able to put out here. So go look it up on YouTube. Um, Marner ended up getting stopped next, uh, but, you know, uh, it ended up having to be decided in, in like a fourth round, and Wheeler called game, ended up scoring after Hellebuck made a stop on the, f- the shot before him, and uh, Wheeler's shot was pretty nice. Not too, fu- not too fussy, not too complicated. Um but he probably felt all of the stress and pressure just kind of come off because his celebration was a bit of a chin strap flip and a, and a visor lift. Uh, he was definitely calling game, and I felt like he was probably like, holy crap, I can't believe we've survived that. I know that because I was saying that I couldn't believe that I survived just watching them play that game. That was that was stressful as heck, man. I was about to die. Um, but Winnipeg escapes with two points, and tomorrow night they're going to play Boston, which I'm going to talk a little bit about in just a moment. Winnipeg's hell trip through the Atlantic Division continues. Um, they've already pulled off two wins, one against Montreal, which was a uh, bit of a close one just because the Jets weren't particularly good. And then tonight, of course, they just survived Toronto somehow. I don't I don't know how they survived. I'm going to be honest. I, I really expected a loss based on their performance, but Winnipeg, as usual, just kind of finds a way and, and somehow pulled off a victory. Um, they kind of are doing their Canadian Atlantic Division revenge tour, apparently, after some embarrassing losses to both of those teams. But up next, they faced a uh, something of a unique challenge in the Boston Bruins. Uh, and I would say that the Bruins are probably the most comparable team to the St. Louis Blues, um, just the Eastern version. They play sort of big physical um, defensive hockey with some really talented scorers, especially David Pasternak, who just keeps scoring this year. And you kind of think about it, they're second in the league. They're tied with the Blues um, at 61 points. And both teams kind of have some similar mental you know, approaches. I think Boston plays a little bit more of an offensive style than the Blues do. But generally speaking, Boston just likes a lot of really sound two-way transition play. Um, 
really strong defensive attributes, some great goaltending. The Bruins are a really well-rounded team, even though their form over the past couple of weeks has been a little bit iffy. A season or two ago, the Bruins arguably could have been Stanley Cup contenders, if not really favorites. Um, The Bruins are a very, very good, very deep, very well-balanced team, and I think that that's going to cause Winnipeg a lot of problems tomorrow night. The Bruins... The Bruins can be, you know, very imposing in the offensive zone. They have a lot of really talented passers. They have some great shooters. They have guys like Charlie Coyle, who um, Coyle's kind of found himself in a bit of a, a surprising role for the Bruins. I mean, he's, I believe, in their middle six, but oftentimes they rely on rely on him for a lot of different situations. For the most part, he's been pretty good. Even though Bergeron is, at this point, kind of starting to enter the latter stages of his career, he's still very productive. Brad Marchand is still pretty decent. David Pasternak, of course, is an amazing goal scorer. Um, Danton Heinen, I think, is putting up a pretty good season from what I hear. Jake DeBrusque, also kind of an underrated talent. He'll always be the butt of a joke, but DeBrusque himself is actually a phenomenal winger, and I think that's somebody who consistently gets overlooked from the Bruins just because of where he was taken. Their defensive unit, which is basically spearheaded by Charlie McAvoy, is doing a pretty decent job as well. Uh, and so they have, you know, guys like Brendan Carlo, who's something of a shutdown defenseman, although his, his offensive attributes are, are definitely lacking. Um, they got a lot of guys like Grizzlick, who's probably still something of a, uh, a bit of an underappreciated talent league-wide. Uh, and that's Boston has always had like a lot of really interesting depth players who maybe wouldn't excel elsewhere, but because the Bruins are very good at maximizing utility, utility out of their um, bottom six and bottom pairing defensemen, yeah, the Bruins have a, a really well-balanced squad, and I think that that's the kind of challenge that is going to put Winnipeg under a lot of stress. Are the Bruins unbeatable? Absolutely not. I think that the Jets, if they can survive Toronto, they can certainly survive Boston, but it's going to be a really tight, close game, and I expect a Bruins win. I don't think that Winnipeg is going to be able to repeat, you know, the magic of beating both Montreal and Toronto despite being pretty heavily outplayed twice. The Jets have escaped a lot of misfortune this year, in part because Hellebuck has covered over a lot of their mistakes, but if Laurent Brassois starts tomorrow, which I would expect him to, um, I just don't know if that's really going to be, I don't know that that's going to be the, uh, the best outcome for the Jets. I mean, Brassois definitely needs to play. Hellebuck is going to need some time off as we start, you know, getting into this latter half of the season. So yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm not really optimistic on the outcome. I wasn't optimistic t- tonight or against the Habs and it still turned out okay. Um, but, you know, you can only get lucky so many opportunities, and I think that the Jets have probably used up their three genie wishes at this point, two of them in tonight's game against the Leafs. Um, but, you know, the Jets have, ever since Sami Niku came back, the Jets have been winning games, even though that's not really a correlation. I'm just going to pretend it is because I'm a Sami Niku defender. Uh, I will say that Niku has looked pretty decent. He's a uh, he's a smart defenseman. He can do offensive zone activations that nobody else on the team can. He can carry the puck uh, out of dangerous situations. Um, and he's very skilled. He's got great distribution and his hair is awesome. So I think that his ability to create more offense might be something of a boost to the Jets because right now they can't create a whole lot of offense, period, especially from their back end. They're, the defensemen don't really generate much aside from like Neil Pionk. So um, if Nico is allowed to stick around and, and create opportunities for this team, that could maybe help them against teams like the Bruins who have a lot of skilled depth. Either way, I, I do expect tomorrow night to be a pretty tense affair. Dmitry Kulikov might come in. If he does, I expect Sami Niku to sit, which for, for me would be a disappointment because Kulikov is pretty bad. I think we, we all have established that he's not really a top-four defenseman anymore. Um, but we'll see. 
Maybe maybe Winnipeg gives Sami Niku a bone. They're 2-0-1 since Niku came back, which is technically undefeated, you know, in regulation. So we're going to go with that. Um, but again, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, have a great night, and go Jets go.